Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. It is great to see you all. We're back here for another Sunday, and we've already mentioned it, but 2020 has been a remarkably difficult year. I am looking forward to 2021, and did you know that 2021, oh gosh, thank you, is just 18 days away. Uh, It is 18 days away, and we are trusting that this new year will be a better year, that it'll be a year of reopenings and reunions and an opportunity to redo so much of what we had to reschedule this past year, Um, and who knows? Maybe 2021 will even be a year to cross some of those things off the bucket list. Uh, do you guys, have you heard about these things, these bucket lists, the practice of writing down everything you want to do in your lifetime? Have people heard about bucket lists here before? Uh, did you know the term bucket list? It's relatively like a recent invention in language. People that study language say it was really introduced into kind of our English vocabulary only in 2007. Uh, right around the time that there was a new movie, popularized movie from Warner Brothers that starred like Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman called The Bucket List. It's taken off since then. Uh, but I'm just curious in here, does anyone, does anyone in this room, do you have a bucket list? Anybody have a bucket list? Uh, I've been working, okay, <laughs> this row just came prepared <laughs> with bucket list. I've been working on mine a little this week, just thinking of some big life goals, stuff I'd love to accomplish. Uh, in my lifetime, one of those things is I'd love to write a book. Um, I'd love if people read it too, but I'd love to just write one, Uh, (laughs) something I've always dreamed of. I'd love to visit, I was trying to think travel, I'd love to visit Christ the Redeemer in Rio de Janeiro. Do you guys know this, Uh, like the statue like this, Big Jesus? Uh, Just love to see that. I think that'd be really fun. Uh, I'd love, this might be a surprise uh, to some folks, even folks that live with, I'd love to get a piano. I know, Josh wants one too, so maybe one's coming to our house. But I don't know, it'd just be fun to kind of like learn, get some lessons, build some of those skills up. Uh, Maybe I'll audition for the band. Uh, I'd love to get a piano though. And of course, and some of you already know this, uh, I would love, and this will happen, I would love to meet Kelly Clarkson in my lifetime. Uh, Coming up hasn't happened yet, but mark my words, it will be a reality. So those are just some of the things on my bucket list. Uh, I'd love to know, yeah, what's on yours? I mean, be thinking about that. What's on your bucket list? What would you love to accomplish? And the thing is, bucket lists, they can be really, really exciting to write. You know, they can stir up fun dreams within us. They can get us eager for the future, really, really like help us look forward to what's coming our way. They can motivate us to get serious about goals. They can be exciting, but they also have the potential to be disappointing or upsetting. I mean, what if there's something we'd love to do that we might not ever be able to do? Uh, What if there is something that would be on our list that couldn't possibly happen until a lot of other things happen first? What if something on our list seems essentially impossible, uh, highly unlikely, uh, a nice idea, but very, 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 very far from reality? I mean, what do we do then? And I say that to say this, this morning, we're going to meet someone who's in that exact situation. He was waiting patiently for God to come through on a promise, uh, but it wasn't looking good. 
This man, he had grown old and circumstances in his country had grown very dark and dim. Uh, the king of the region, King Herod, he was like a puppet of Rome who brutally suppressed his own people. So politically things were great. Uh, taxes were high, fear was palpable, and this man's waiting seemed to drag on and on and on and on. I mean, have you ever been there uh, just waiting for something that you desperately need? Uh, waiting and waiting for something to resolve, waiting for something promised to arrive, but it seems like there's no end in sight. I mean, I don't know about you, but these are the kinds of thoughts that flood my mind when I find myself in this kind of waiting, right? Waiting for something that needs to happen, but it's not happening. Uh, first, I start to think uh, things will never get better. Things will never get better. I might start off my waiting with hope, but oh goodness, after weeks, turn to months, that turn to years, uh, my thinking shifts and it goes to like, hey, this is just the way it's going to be. And I should get used to it. I need to be a realist, learn to deal with it. I tell myself things will never get better. Uh, and then, of course, that leads to, and I'll never be happy again, right? I'll never be happy again. Happiness is something I used to know. You know, I used to be able to laugh and feel carefree, but those days are over. And until this anticipated outcome materializes, you know, I'm not going to be able to smile. And it doesn't look like this is happening anytime soon, so, so I'll never be happy again, right? So things will never get better, I'll never be happy again, and finally, uh, nothing good can come from this. You know, nothing at all. It's just bad, all of it, everything about this waiting, it's all bad, and I don't want to hear some Bible story about how it's going to be fine. I don't want to read your mom's embroidered pillow about how all things work out, right? I don't care. Uh, nothing good can come from this. Uh, that's how I can feel when I'm in a long season of waiting. I don't know about you, but this morning, we're gonna continue our engagement with the Christmas story. We're going to uh, keep looking at this familiar story of a baby born who changes the whole world from the perspective of people that aren't always mentioned or aren't always noticed. And so last week, you know, we dove into the thoughts and feelings of Mary, Jesus's mother. And this morning, we're going to be meeting an old man named Simeon. Simeon, and he has been waiting and waiting and waiting. And this morning, we'll watch as something happens in his life. And we'll listen to the good news of Christmas as articulated from his perspective. That's why our time this morning is titled The Gospel According to Simeon, because we think Simeon has some good news to share with us. There's something significant for us to learn from his story. And I am ready for us to study it together. So if you have a Bible with you, will you join me in Luke chapter 2, Luke Two, uh, that's where Simeon's life is documented for us. And in Luke 2, beginning in verse 25, we read, Now there was a devout, or there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. So Luke 2, 25, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. Now we're introduced to Simeon by Luke through this simple one-line biography. And actually, archaeologists tell us that this was the first Twitter bio. Uh, this is only 77 characters in length, uh, and it's an outstanding bio. Uh, what more could you want if you were Simeon in one sense? It tells us a lot about him. We learn that he lives in Jerusalem and that he's a righteous man, right? A righteous man. This means that he lived with kindness and goodness and fairness. He didn't cheat anybody out of what they were owed. He didn't take moral shortcuts when things got hard, right? Simeon is a righteous man, faithful to his commitments, and he was a devout man. Uh, this means that he was devoted to his faith. He prayed regularly. 
He worshiped at the temple. I don't know if you've been around church where there's always like old folks there that you think just must live there. This was my church growing up, right? It's like, he, I think of Simeon as one of those guys fondly. I mean, I love those folks, right? But Simeon's always at the temple. He's always worshiping. He's, he's devout and faithful. And the text tells us in verse 26 that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Uh, he was waiting for God to show up and comfort his people. He was waiting for the weight of Roman oppression to end. Uh, he was waiting for hope to feel real again, for joy to bubble up inside of him again and inside of his countrymen, right? His friends and his neighbors. Uh, Simeon needed his soul to be refreshed and his spirit to be lifted because times were hard and things had grown tough. And then we read in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit was on Simeon. This means that God's spirit was close to Simeon, and the spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity that we studied last month, right, in great detail, the Holy Spirit shows up to Simeon and tells him, somehow makes it real to him, that Simeon, you, uh, you are going to see the Messiah, this one who's going to change the whole world, this person who's been promised who's coming. You're going to meet the one who will inaugurate a new covenant between God and humanity. You're going to see this pivotal person in history, this wonderful counselor, prince of peace, through whom all the world will be blessed. You're going to meet this person, and you'll see him with your own two eyes and you'll hold them with your own two hands. The Holy Spirit told Simeon that he would meet the Messiah. And I can imagine a little bit of how Simeon might have felt. I think that he might have felt that mix of like excitement and disbelief that comes with news that almost feels too good to be true, right? Excitement and that, gosh, I might have this incredible role in this incredible story. I get to meet the Messiah and yet a little disbelief because Simeon's old. And the clock is ticking, you know? I, he could probably write in his journal, like, this Messiah better show up fast because it doesn't seem like there is a lot of life in my rear view, or a lot, lot of life left ahead, right? Most of it's in my rear view mirror. Well, then in verse 26, one morning, moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. And when Jesus' parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. So here's the thing. Simeon had been waiting and waiting and waiting, and then one day, God's Spirit prompted him to go to the temple courts. And Simeon had been there many, many times before, right? He's an old guy after all, and he's a devout guy, right? So he's had a lot of life to live, and he's been at the temple a lot. But this time, he shows up in the temple courts, and while he was there, something just stirred within him when he saw a particular baby boy in the arms of a young girl. And he didn't know this baby's story, and he didn't know this girl's story. He didn't know that her pregnancy was scandalous in her hometown, right? like we talked last week. He didn't know that everyone had been talking about her behind her back and accusing her of like cheating on her fiance and illegitimately conceiving this child. He didn't know that an angel had appeared to her and told her that this baby would change the world. He didn't know any of that. I mean, all that he knew is that deep in his bones, he's like, man, this is my promised moment. And this kid is the Messiah, the one who will change everything. And so he walks over to Mary, and he walks over to Joseph. They're there to have Jesus blessed and circumcised. And he says, hey, I know you don't know me, and I know that this sounds really strange, but I'm telling you, I am sure that your child is God's redeemer and rescuer, the Messiah, the one who's going to put the whole world back together. Uh, would you mind if I held your baby? 
And in my imagination, I think because Mary had shown up, or Mary had had an angel show up and tell her the same thing. And because Simeon's an old guy, and old guys usually are pretty harmless, right? I think she hands over this baby, and it says he took baby Jesus in his arms, and he praised God. Now, can you imagine that moment? I mean, after waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, day after day and day after day and month after month and month after month, finally what you've been waiting for has arrived. Your promise has been fulfilled. And so Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, a.k.a. I am ready to go. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. Simeon said, it's happened. I mean, my eyes, I have seen the baby, the child who will be the salvation to Israel, the, the hope of the world, the one who's going to bring good news to people that already like, don't know the good news, aka the Gentiles, and the one who's going to bring good news to the people who think they've got it already, the people of Israel. Simeon said, this is it, like, this is him. I can die now, scratch it off my bucket list. I have seen the Messiah. And here's what I don't want you to miss at this point in the story, friends. When Simeon saw the object of his waiting, the difficulty of his waiting melted away. Right, when Simeon saw the object of his waiting, aka the Messiah, the difficulty of his waiting melted away. When he met the one he'd been waiting for, the sadness and frustration and exhaustion that he'd been carrying with him, it dissolved. Now, like a lot of you, this makes me think of Disney World. Uh, no, I love Disney World. I've uh, been, been fortunate enough to be there uh, a number of times in my life. I was there uh, when I was a child. We had great trips. I know my parents watch on the stream. We went to Disney World. Uh, I know that I was there as an adult uh, very recently, probably most recently with Chris. Uh, it was a strange trip. We were there in Orlando for another conference. We got to go to Disney World with pastors of very large churches. I mean, I mean very large churches. We're talking thousands tens of thousands of members, and then there was us, somehow, uh, going to Disney World with this crew. So that was fun. We had, uh, yeah, a whole lot to talk about with them. Uh, but I also went to Disney World when I was in high school. Uh, our marching band went to Disney World to be in, like, the parade that they do through the Magic Kingdom, and so we're there, and right before we had arrived, a new ride had opened in Epcot called Soarin'. I don't know if any of you have ever been on this ride. It's like this flight simulator ride. I see a great nod, yes. It's a flight simulator that like takes you over California. So you get strapped in this chair. They lift you up basically in front of like a big IMAX screen. So you're like in this virtual reality world and it's Disney. So your seat's moving and you're flying and you know, you go over oranges and they like spray orange essential oils in your face and the wind blows one way and then the wind blows the other way. And it was just absolutely incredible. And everyone had said like, this is incredible. But the thing was, there was a three hour and 15 minute wait to get there. I mean, three hours, 15 minutes. And so we knew we couldn't miss it because everyone was talking about it. It was like the buzz of Epcot. And yet we had to wait for three hours and 15 minutes. And this is like before smartphones, y'all. I mean, we just had to wait. We had to like talk to each other. Uh, sometimes you like sit down, you stall, you make up games, right? You just uh, come up with conversation starters. We waited and waited and waited. Right, we complained while we wait, but after the ride, after we'd experienced this remarkable, immersive, I mean, one-of-a-kind experience, this virtual journey over California, like, we were abuzz. 
We just could not contain our joy. I mean, honestly, we probably would have gotten in line again. What I want to pull from that story is this. Objectively speaking, that wait was way longer than the ride. But when I think of the experience now, when I tell the story, you know, the wait goes by in like a sentence. It's inconsequential. What's celebrated is the object of waiting. I mean, the fact that we can like commiserate and celebrate, oh my gosh, we've, we've experienced this same ride, and it was remarkable. I mean, you see, waiting becomes prologue when the object of waiting arrives, right? It becomes like the previous stuff. Waiting becomes immaterial when the object of waiting materializes. Waiting tends to fade away when the object of waiting shows up. And that's what happened at Disney to me. It's what happened to Simeon. Simeon's entire life changed in an instant. I mean, when he held the baby Jesus, because what he had been promised, what he had been waiting for, it finally arrived. What God promised him came to pass. And so then, in Luke 2, verse 34, uh, Simeon blesses them, blesses Mary and Joseph and Jesus, and he says to Mary, his mother, uh, this child, so talking about Jesus, is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So as Simeon experiences the fulfillment of his promise, he also receives this prophetic word from Mary. So Simeon, uh, this devout man, says this child who's going to save the whole world, I want you to know he's also going to be maligned and he will suffer uh, his righteous living and his bold teaching, it's really going to expose the hypocrisy in the hearts of others, right? That's uh, the sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. He's, he's going to reveal some hypocrisy in many folks. It's going to put their hearts on display. People are going to see more plainly the evil that they harbor there, and then they're going to turn that evil against him, and it's going to be really, really, really tragic. It's going to cause him great pain. And Simeon adds, uh, this will be tragic for you too, Mary. A sword will pierce your own soul too. Like, you're going to be questioned and challenged and mocked and ridiculed when Jesus is out there teaching and healing. Uh, and you, you're going to see your baby die. Now, at this point in the text, uh, you might be tempted to think like I am, Man, Simeon, like, why do you have to be such a buzzkill? Uh, I thought this was like your big day. You know, your waiting has arrived. This is a big moment for you. Like, what's the deal with all this bad news, man? Why do you got to ruin it, you know? Things are just feeling good. And what we've got to remember is something I think that Chris taught us a few weeks back when we studied the Holy Spirit. Uh, and you can find his entire message online if you missed it. It's at, like the City Church OTR Sermons podcast. It's there. It'd be the one that has prophecy in the title. But Chris told us that prophecy, so sometimes these words the Holy Spirit can give us to share with others, uh, that they're designed to strengthen, comfort, and encourage. If you were here, do you remember that? We talked about like strengthen, comforting, and encouraging. Prophecy, it's, it's intended to give us resolve or boldness or support when things get tough, to help us remember that God sees us and that he is with us. And so I read these words from Simeon, and I think about Mary's life, and I imagine that as things got hard, as her son becomes like a wanted man in Judea, even though he's done nothing wrong. 
And as she faced ridicule and as Jesus was sentenced to death, maybe, just maybe, these words came to mind and they could have, in a strange sense, strengthened or comforted or encouraged her in this sense. They might have reminded her that the challenge she was experiencing, uh, the ridicule she was facing, the opposition that she was enduring is not some sign that God was absent or had forgotten about her or didn't see her situation, but rather uh, was something that like he knew was going to happen. And he had said it to her from the very beginning through the sweet old man who recognized who her baby was at the beginning of his life. Right? I mean, I just imagine that this prophecy from Simeon could have been words that Mary held on to when times got so what is the gospel of Simeon? What is the good news that this forerunner in the faith wants us to hear? What does he want to remind us of this morning? Well, I think considering his story and reflecting upon his experience, we have just a few takeaways. The first one is this. I think Simeon wants, us to, wants to remind us that God keeps his promises, right? That God keeps his promises, that he does not go back on his word, that he doesn't leave us hanging Right? That we're not just wrung out to dry, but that God keeps his promises. So perhaps there are some specific promises that God has made to you. Or perhaps there are promises that you've read in your Bible that have meant a great deal to you. I mean, I can think of a few that mean so much to so many. Uh, the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? I mean, that's a promise you can take to the bank. Uh, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. I mean, that's a promise that's meant so much to me in times when I've been exhausted. Uh, another great one, for even if the mountains walk away and the hills fall to pieces, my love won't walk away from you. My covenant commitment of peace will not fall apart. And what's true, friends, is that God has made promises to you and he keeps his promises. He does not leave them unfulfilled. And Simeon wants to remind us of that this morning, that God's promises to you can be trusted fully and completely and absolutely, even when things seem really dark, even when circumstances grow very dim. Simeon wants to remind us God's promises can be trusted. They can be trusted. He'd say, that's my story. I think the second thing he'd want to tell us is this. Uh, Simeon wants us to remember that the joy when waiting ends is greater than the pain while waiting endures. The joy when waiting ends, the joy that comes when waiting ends, is greater than the pain while waiting endures. I mean, perhaps you're in a season of waiting, and it feels like there is just no end in sight. Oh man, is this my crying Sunday? Guys, I was doing so well. Uh, and you're not sure when or how God is going to come through. Simeon would want to say, uh, the joy when waiting ends is greater than the pain while waiting endures. This is Simeon's story, and this is in a very real sense my parents' story. I, uh, and I'm feeling it, hi mom. Uh, my parents waited seven years, uh, tried to have a baby of their own. And when you get them talking about those years, uh, it is some of my favorite moments in life for them to tell stories uh, of just those times in both the, the crazy things. I mean, they were going through certain treatments when they weren't as good as they are now. And so like crazy hormones and all the stuff that comes out of that. So the, the difficulty uh, and 
the, the cards that they received from friends that they had and how difficult Mother's Day was at church for my mom. I mean, there's so many of these stories I can remember. I mean, they waited and they waited and they waited and friends kept having babies and they kept having to go to baby showers and babysit other people's kids and they waited and they waited and they waited. Uh, and then one morning, they got a call that there was a little baby boy <laughs> available. And I promise you, if my mom were here or if my dad were here, uh, they would tell you that instantly, Instantly, the pain of those seven years of waiting evaporated uh, when their new baby boy came home. And they would also tell you, in fact, they've told me countless times, that I am the best purchase they ever made. Uh, and I believe them, and we, uh, we have no regrets. It's true. It's very, very true. Um, but friends, I mean, I feel that. I know people in this room are waiting for all kinds of things. And Simeon's story says, the joy when waiting ends is greater, is greater than the pain while waiting endures. I know that's tough. Uh, and my feeble, feeble hope is that if you're in a spot of waiting, my, my hope is that that could comfort you this morning, even as you continue to endure whatever it is uh, that you're waiting for. And finally, uh, Simeon reminds us in his story that sometimes, I mean, just sometimes, sometimes uh, waiting can be good. Sometimes waiting can be good. And how is that, Tyler? How can, like, waiting, something that's awful, I mean, my dad loves to say wait's a four-letter word, right, a.k.a. it's a cuss word, uh, and it's just like, how can waiting be good? Well, there's a few ways I can see uh, that it can be really helpful. Uh, first, waiting, it can focus us on God's voice. It can focus us on God's voice. It can really help tune out all the other distractions and frequencies and cluttered just noise that can fill up our lives. And when we're in an intense season of waiting, and we're desperate for something to come through. It can really focus us on what matters most. It can tune us right in to God's voice and help us, I mean, build within us this kind of sense of desperation to hear from him and to know where he's leading and what's going on. It can, it can focus us on God's voice. See that in Simeon's story, when he's so sensitive to the spirit. He knows exactly what's being communicated. He goes that morning, right? Uh, and waiting, it doesn't have to destroy our righteousness and devotion. It doesn't have to. Uh, destroy our righteousness and devotion. I mean, remember, Simeon is described as a righteous and devout man, and his righteousness and his devotion are things that like came into being while he was waiting. He earned that reputation for being righteous and devout, not after he saw sweet baby Jesus, but he earned it during his period of waiting, right? The difficulty of waiting in his life, it didn't erode his righteousness, and it didn't cause his devotion to fade, but instead it served as the backdrop, right, to his whole life as he learned to live like Jesus and to worship like Jesus regularly, right, in the temple frequently, even as a major promise went unfulfilled. So waiting, it can sometimes be good. It can focus us on God's voice, right? It doesn't have to destroy our righteousness and our devotion. And finally, it can be good because it can be, waiting can be, a catalyst towards greater intimacy with God. Uh, it can help us grow our trust and our dependence on God. When we go without something for a while, it trains our hearts and our minds to remember our good God who keeps his promises and is worthy of our devotion and is the giver of every good gift. Amen. And in fact, uh, that's why we're going to be beginning this new year as a church with a fast with a fast. Uh, so I already said I'm excited for this new year to begin. This is one of the reasons why. Have you heard of fasting? 
uh, fasting, it's this, this discipline of withdrawal that reminds us of our utter dependence on God. Uh, it's a conscious decision to go without something or to abstain from something so that might, we might be reminded with clarity and, and with focus all that comes from our Father in heaven, right? So we can be reminded of that truth and go without something for a while. And, and as I was thinking about Simeon this week, I realized, gosh, fasting is an opportunity to be a little bit like Simeon uh, in an age of DoorDash and Amazon Prime. Uh, and what I mean by that is this, uh, man, I get most of what I desire quite instantly. Uh, I wait, you know, I mean, two days is about as long as most waits go in my life before it shows up at the door. Uh, and so we live in a very different world, but to, but to wait and to be patient and to tune into God's voice and to grow in intimacy with him and to remind ourselves of our dependence and need upon him, it's, it's a great thing. So we're gonna be beginning a new year with a fast. We're gonna be talking about it more next week. And in fact, we're even planning this short little gathering after our worship service next Sunday for those who are interested in joining this fast. We'll give plenty of more details, but I just wanted to put it on your radar this morning that there's a real opportunity to practice waiting together coming about 18 days from now. But now, uh, as we prepare for worship, as the band comes to lead us soon, as we get to go to our time of reflection like we do around here, so you'll have an opportunity soon to pray in your own seat or to sing and join the band or to go to one of our communion stations where we have the Lord's table available, right? You can take part of this meal that Jesus instituted when he was on earth, a reminder of his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. I mean, you know kind of how we do it around here. There's space to respond. But as we head into that time of response, I just want to say, uh, may you this morning, may you be uplifted and encouraged with that everlasting encouragement that Simeon waited for. You know, this consolation of Israel, this comfort that's going to come. May you feel that encouragement this morning from God's Spirit. May you be reminded of our God who comes through on his promises. I mean, if you're in a long period of waiting, may you anticipate afresh the joy that is coming for you, that is coming when what it is that you've been waiting for is fulfilled. And may you allow God to form you and draw closer to you even as you wait. Because, friends, God is faithful. I mean, that's what Simeon would want us to hear this morning. God is faithful. He will come through on what he promised. He will come through on what he promised. So let's speak with him now. Let's pray now. If you need someone to pray with you, we'll be back behind these little sound walls in our prayer rooms. Uh, let's visit the Lord's table. Let's lift them up in joy. Let's do it together.